0: Blog Talk Radio Firefly Willows L.I.V.E. presents The Amethyst Oracle Divination with a Queer Twist Featuring your hosts Heisey Luckmers and Charlie Harrington
1: The Amethyst
2: Oracle
1: Delves into life, death, and everything betwixt, between, and beyond. Between and beyond. between and beyond. between and beyond. With a queer twist. The Amazon, Amazon. Oracle. Divination, Divination with a queer, with a queer twist. twist. And now, now here are your, your hosts, host, Charlie Harrington and Heisty you
3: Welcome to the show, everyone. We're sure excited that you have tuned in to the Amethyst Oracle Divination with a Queer Twist. Really excited about uh, tonight's topic and everything that it implies and engenders and entreats us to. And I'm even more excited and implied and engendered uh, about my co-host
1: the lovely, fetching, but slightly evil, high sea And hello. I see that I've just had the same effect on you as I normally do everyone else. <laughs> the same old shtick.
3: <laughs> so I'm really excited about this um, uh, topic, I see, since I noticed that the topic for tonight is ecstatic bodies. And so, you know, get to talk about all our physique. I've been, you know, doing little Isn't white watchers.
1: Right? You know, it's like... Doing, uh, don't these the- abs bring ecstasy to you? I I I mean, <laughs> the
3: magic of radio. People can't tell how just what what fine specimens we are.
1: Are you ecstatic about these glutes? I. So could, should we tell what, <laughs> the people what we really are, are talking about this evening? Oh, all right, fine. I guess all we're right. going to spoil the mystery of yeah, it all. The magic. Well, we're excited about our guest this evening, Molly Scott, who. I think is going to be talking about a relatively unique um, approach to working with the Tarot and combining it with uh, the body, with yoga, with movement, um, and and really bringing the Tarot um, out of the, the realm of the ephemeral thought process into a more embodied state and really allowing us to feel it in the physical plane.
3: And also, at the end of the episode, we should now know how to, during a reading, tell our clients to bend over and put their legs behind their head and all sorts of other uh, things we'd like them to do, right? Well,
1: I don't know if I needed this interview for that. But but yes, um, we are going to have her give uh, an example of this process and this approach. Um, so that people can have a better understanding of it. Um, Because I do think it's rather fascinating, and I think it's a really great way to approach and get another level of understanding or insight into what a reading has to offer. And of course, following our little talk with Molly, we will have Living the Queer Life,
3: letting you, the listener, dear gentle soul that you are, know how to live a more authentic and queer existence here on terra firma
1: and i will remind people that they can find us at facebook.com slash the amethyst oracle and you can email us if you would like at the amethyst oracle at gmail.com and you can always listen to past shows Here on Blog Talk Radio, or you can find them on iTunes. Just do a quick search for either the Amethyst Oracle or Firefly Willows, and they will come up toot-sweet for you to listen to, download, or subscribe to. And later in the show, if you would like to get a reading, we offer every month the opportunity for you to receive a reading live during the show with Charlie and myself. You can get into the queue for that at any time by typing in from the show page or calling 646-716-5510. Before landing in California, Molly Scott spent her childhood in the kudzu-thick hills of North Mississippi and studying art history and American poetry at Columbia University. She has been an educator in museums, a bookseller in bookstores, an archivist in Taos, New Mexico, and a co-founder of a collective library space in Brooklyn, New York. Her passion for reading the Tarot has stuck with her through these many iterations. And besides offering tarot readings and classes on how to read the cards, she is currently training as a yoga teacher at the Nairoga Yoga Institute. Molly Scott is a tarot reader and yogini who currently resides in Oakland, California. Her passions are human psychology, somatic practice, magic, the occult, language and healing. Molly offers a particular type of session with the Tarot in which she prescribes her clients a yoga practice in response to what comes up in Tarot reading. She calls this practice ecstatic bodies in the Tarot, from the Greek ekstasis, meaning displacement, or literally, beside oneself and wrapped with transformation, because these sessions are about deepening the work of self-transformation that the Tarot asks of its corrent. So please join Hi-C and Charlie in welcoming to the Amethyst Oracle, Tarot reader and yogini, Molly Scott. Welcome to the show molly Scott. thank you so much for joining charlie and i here this evening on the amethyst oracle we hope you are doing well and up for a a rowdy body and enticing conversation Mm
4: -hmm. thank you very much for having me i'm happy to
5: be here with you
1: so the first thing that maybe we'll just start with if you want to give us a little bit of of background of where you come from in terms of the title of the show was Ecstatic Bodies in the Tarot, which in essence is related to the idea of yoga in the Tarot um, or the somatic body experience that we can find in the Tarot. So maybe you can just give us a little bit of background of where you come from and how these particular titles or topics relate to who you are and what you do and what you offer.
4: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, um I've been reading the tarot for um about 8 years. Um since I was a teenager actually. And it became a really serious practice for me as like a as a self-therapy basically. Um I've always been a very low <laughs> low income person when I became independent and so I never really had the means to go to therapy and I also never really um had an interest in having like a regular psychologist, um, as my like means of coaching myself towards mental health. So, um, I've been working with the tarot for a number of years and, um, I started to realize that, um, it was kind, it was calling for a somatic practice for something more seriously of, uh, involving like a bettering of the self, you know, um, and so when i started to read tarot for other people for clients which is which i really began doing about um probably about 7 months ago and i've been doing tarot readings for people for a long time but when i started reading tarot for clients i realized that that same um desire to push that had arisen for me to push myself towards like a greater bettering of the self was really arising um, while I was coaching clients through readings, And um, so I started to um, ask clients if I could prescribe a movement practice. Um, and I've been studying yoga for about six months. So it was actually, it aligned really. Basically, I moved to the Bay Area. I started reading for clients. And I also started studying yoga. And I had been practicing it, but I began studying it. And so as the birth of my knowledge around yoga kind of um, came into being, the two practices became married for me. Um, Tarot as a healing practice and yoga as a healing practice. Um, So the way that they really became married was... Um, Realizing that the tarot, I was seeing that the tarot was asking for specific energetic states to, um, for clients to enter or inhabit new energetic states. Mm. And yoga really allows you to fully inhabit those new energetic states. Um, And I can get more into details about that. But do you have any questions about that? Initially?
3: Well, I, I really like that approach because I think um when people think of tarot readings, they think of people two people scrunched up uh under with, with chairs in a tiny little room <laughs> with uh, bad lighting and mm-hmm. like hunched over a you know, uh, the card and sort of peering at them in that way and very sort of frozen in time. Uh so how do you get someone to open up energetically, how, how, as a reader, even do you get, to you like open up a bit more energetically and get out of just being completely in the head and more into the body?
4: Yeah. Well, for one thing, I will actually generally guide a client in a meditation. Like I'll do a, a guided meditation before the reading even begins because yeah. I want people to um, get into a space where they're really. Receptive to the reading and to what shows up in the cards um because I have definitely done readings for people who are closed off, and that is absolutely not fun for me <laughs> and so <No> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah um and so I started to really realize I wanted more out of the sessions myself, and mm-hmm. I've had a long standing interest in um hypnotherapy actually, and before I I actually started reading. I'm going to go to the hypnotherapy training and tarot for clients. I was like, I'm just going to be a hypnotherapist. But mm-hmm. I realized that I really just like incorporate that into tarot, which is a skill I already have and feel extremely comfortable with. So, so I will generally guide people in a meditation and my meditations are very thematically based. So I do a lot of chakra meditations with people, a lot of like, Um, going into the body um, and, for example, looking into where you feel a pain or like what the experience of fear feels like in your body Mm. and what the experience of love feels like in your body. And so generally um, with people, with a client, I'll have a client come in and I start a conversation with them. And I'm asking them a little bit about what they're wanting to get out of the reading, what they might be dealing with. And so there's kind of like um, almost an entrance, like interview, a very, a very small one. And then I'll do a meditation, a guided meditation for clients. Um, very short one. And then I'll lay out the reading and see what comes up. And so that generally opens people up immediately. And um, that, was where I first started to experiment with the movement practice. It was Mm. something that I really started with very experimentally. Like, um, basically I started, I began it with a friend from whom I like was learning yoga. So she was already open to a movement practice. Mm. But with clients, I found that, yeah. Um, I started really slowly. I started not really saying like, I'm going to like prescribe you a movement practice. I'm going to make you move your body.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: I, I was only doing that with people who were like, you know, I was kind of feeling it out with them and they were like into it and open to doing that. Um, so, so then I started to realize that it was actually kind of becoming a practice and that I was doing it more regularly with clients. And so now I just like up front um, am saying, uh, If you want me to prescribe you a movement practice, that's the type of session we'll do. And so people come into it kind of knowing um, that it's going to be a movement practice. Um, But, yeah, specifically that vision of people being hunched over a table and really, like, all up in their heads and, like, hunching over the cards and really, like, hashing out their, like, psychological problems (laughs)
2: because
4: it was so psychological Mm -hmm. that, um, I realized that I was doing that to myself. Mm -hmm. Oh yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That I was doing that to myself and that that was not helping my clients either. You know?
2: Mm
4: -hmm. So I started to realize that I kind of needed to like embody, um, all of the psychic healing that I was talking about and ask clients to do the same or else it felt a little bit like a hypocritical, um, practice.
3: Right on. So, like, for example, if in a reading, like, there was a really positive card, uh, I'm just going to say, like, the sun or something like that came up as something helpful to person, do you sort of try to figure out how to help them embody the sun, like, ener- like the energy of the sun through movement?
4: hmm Yeah. Something like that. The sun is a card that's really um, talking about confidence and, um, like, just a glorious kind of like shining. And so for someone who's pulling the sun as like a positive aspect, I'm going to ask them to do like a lot of like heart openers, you know, like flinging their arms open wide or, um, or, but you know, the sun is something that I'm actually generally going to ask a client to come towards, you know, mm-hmm. and that like, that is um, so, well, here, let me back up. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. <laughs> the sun card, I've had the sun card show up for people in readings as um, like a positive thing before. And for those people, I will ask them to like open up their chest. I'll ask them to do um, really radiant poses, really radiant asanas. But the sun, I've also had show up as a negative, like as a block
5: for clients.
4: And so, in that case, that energetic state is not what the person needs to be moving towards. And so, in that case, I'm going to be asking that person to do maybe forward folding bends. I'm going to be asking them to do things like lying on their backs and curling up, you know, and like getting into more um, internally, uh, more internal, like sort of moon energy cards, uh, not cards, poses.
2: Mm-hmm. Sorry.
4: So, For example, the High Priestess is a card that's very, very different from the sun. She's reading a book, and she's got veils around her. And so the High Priestess is um, a card that maybe someone who's got too much solar energy um, could really use the energy of. So I would ask that client to maybe do something like bound pose, where they're going to sit down on the ground and fan their legs out and then um kind of like lean over and look into their feet, you know, like reading their feet like a book. Really like somatically um turning inwards, you know.
3: Excellent. So um, even though the, yeah. the the High Priestess isn't in the reading itself, you kind of it it's indicated to you that the energy of the High Priestess is what it's sort of called for
4: mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's very much like uh case by case. So, um, you know, someone who's got, like, a solar energy, it might, like, maybe the devil is going to show up as um, a card that would be more positive for this person to embody. Maybe they need to be, like, overthrowing things in particular right now rather than showing themselves in a solar way. And um, for those people, I would be, you know, uh, prescribing movements that are much more... um, strange you know and like about um kind of twisting out certain things in the body maybe a lot of spinal twists and um or maybe you know very like vigorous movements so um yeah it's very case by case
3: (laughs) and i have a conversely clearly from that one so since we're talking about like positive cards and what to do like if a negative card comes up like a really challenge like a five of swords like I'm making the bunny fingers for negative, but I do believe there's some cards that are usually pretty negative to experience. So the Five of Swords comes up. Is it always like, oh, we should um, kind of not engage in Five of Swords energy, or is there, a, is there a way through movement to positively experience something as challenging as, like, the Five of Swords?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a card that's been a challenge for me, actually, in prescribing movement practice. That and the Nine of Swords, very oh, much yeah. sharp cards That are really intense. Um, about like power struggles, about, about blockage and just really, really difficult energies. So for someone who, and I have seen the five of swords come up positively as Mm -hmm. like someone does need to embody, um, Mm -hmm. or, or inhabit. And for that kind of a thing, actually, yeah, what I will do with those clients. And generally when I'm working with clients who are coming to me, because my, um, you know, my strength is the tarot. That is what I've been doing for a long time. And yoga is something that I am very much so learning how to teach. It comes quite naturally, but um, its I'm not nearly as um, well-versed in that language as I am in the tarot. And so for me, it's like a very intuitive process, right? And so with something like the Five of Swords, I'm going to start working.
5: With flexing, personal people, but pros who are like really chilling it and just like super. What I'm going to
4: do with a client like that who needs to embody the Five of Swords energy is I'm going to start trying to get them to bend in uncomfortable ways. I'm going to start trying to get them to inhabit their body in a way that is uncomfortable. So, for example, I might start getting them to, like, really work on getting their head down to their knee and, like, really, like, pushing themselves, you know, but safely guiding them definitely because um, it's a very delicate thing, working with bodies. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like, the Five of Swords is about challenges and about um, struggling. Um, it's a, it's about conflict. And so um, finding a healthy space to um, encounter conflict in your body without hurting yourself, Um, but rather meeting the challenge is something that I would do for someone like that. However, the five of swords, usually when I see it, it's kind of a like crazy and intense thing for a client.
2: Mm -hmm.
4: So I'm going to try to get them to do a lot of sweet things, you know, like a lot of like rhythmic belly breathing and, um, maybe giving them like the um the mudra of the god of nourishment where um you're putting your your index uh or your ring finger and your um middle finger onto your thumb and really like channeling this energy of letting go. Um so there you're working with the meridians in the body. And um so I'll 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 generally prescribe a movement practice where um, you know, calm is invited and letting go of negative energy is invited when I see those cards.
1: So one thing I really <clears throat> love about this approach is I think that a tarot reading, both from the reader's standpoint as well as from the client standpoint, can become a very head space oriented process you know because it's about thinking about what the cards mean and then the client is thinking and processing about the information that they got in the reading and that kind of thing and this really helps take them out of the the head and and into the body so that they can start experiencing what that reading had to say to them in a a much more somatic way and in a way that makes them feel more that energy of acting on what the reading had to say rather than just thinking about what the reading had to say Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'm curious what your process is or how this developed for you do you did you do you find that you look at the cards and you think about what movements or poses or mudras come to you that would be uh, a good correlation for that card or do you when you're doing yoga and things, do you tend to do more of the body movement stuff, and then you think about what is this card or what does this movement feel like, or what is this making me relate to that I would then relate to a card?
4: Mhm, yeah, precisely, and a lot of that comes through meditation on cards for me um i I'm always thinking about that definitely in my practice in my yoga practice, I'm always thinking, um you know, say I'm doing a lot of work with, um, kind of trying to open up like my sacral region and like my pleasure center. Um, I like for a long time, I've been, um, associating those, those movements with the moon card, which is all about that kind of like, un you know, that unclear zone of pleasure of like listening to your intuition. And so, um, when I'm doing poses that are about deeply meditating on those things, um those un you know, like unclear, um just intuitive processes that go on in the body. And, and by unclear I mean like un unobvious, things that are not obvious in the body. Um yeah, I'm always associating um Something like that with the moon, the high priestess, or sometimes even the star. Um, but, yeah, the the process for me um, of associating cards with asanas, um, a lot of the time I'll pull a card for a client. Um, and I will ask that client, actually, um, to meditate on... Just looking at the card to um to medi to begin meditating on where they feel it in their body, where that card is experienced in the body. Say someone um for example, I had someone pull the Pope and I asked them to do a meditation and just looking at the card, um, meditate on where they felt it somatically. Um the client said that she felt this card in her chest and that she um she imagined herself opening up her chest and doing sort of like a butterfly motion with her um, shoulder blades. And um, I found that quite appropriate because the Pope is a card about um, opening up uh, to a more conventional or to a more um, in many ways, like spiritual community space. So, To really find that you're experiencing that card in the shoulders where you carry weight and where you carry responsibility, Um, the responsibility maybe of opening those gates like the Pope does, Um, yeah, it's quite appropriate. And so um, a lot of the time when I ask clients to meditate on where they feel a card somatically, I find that it is actually corresponding quite well. Um, And this is a testament to people's intuition that... um, you know they're usually pretty spot on on where that card you know is um, going for mm-hmm. them, um, what it means for them somatically, and I find that somatic experience is quite spiritual. Um, so yeah, I'm I would ask a client to, who you know I asked that client to begin building strength in her shoulders, and so we were doing poses like plank pose or a tabletop. Pose pose where we were really thinking about how to strengthen the shoulders and really like carry weight in a different way.
3: Um. Excellent. And so, as I'm not super, super, super familiar with yoga, but when <laughs> and I know that there's like a string sort of movement, movements from one like one pose to another. Do you ever mm-hmm. sort of do that as like like a tarot spread? You know, like so from this from this card to this card to this card. Like, um, so pose associated with that card, then into next card in the layout and sort of work through it that way.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, definitely I do, but I want to say that actually originally how this really started to come into formation for me was, um, thinking about the hierarchical as, um, the story of the evolution of the human psyche. Mm -hmm. And so I actually, um, when I really started to get serious about this um, practice, and I've always sort of done it as a one-card kind of a thing, you know, thinking of, like, well, you're pulling a lot of this kind of energy and you maybe need to move into this kind of energy. Um, so it's not always directly from a spread. But um, as far as, like, doing a series of movements from one card to another, yeah, I definitely um, think of that with the higher Because I think that the thing about... Um, the higher arcana and the tarot is that it's asking you for movement through a cycle. Um, The higher arcana telling the story from the fool to the world and over and over again, Um, you know, the fool is supposed to embody every single one of the, you know, 21 other cards in the higher arcana or um, to manifest as those energies. Um, I think that because that is a story um, the tarot is asking you for movement. And so um, I started developing a sequence, a movement sequence um, to correspond with the higher arcana. And so the fool, for example, is um, about embarking on a new journey, completely open hearted. And so for the fool, you'll see, it's hard to to express this, um, in a in an interview uh without any visuals because mm-hmm, you can know, see mm-hmm. people on their bodies. The magic um, theater but, of
2: radio. You know?
4: <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but for the fool, um, there will be a lot of open heartedness. The arms will be spread open. Um often um I'll ask people or in my own practice I'll do balance poses for that card. And then coming into a more concentrated kind of energy about beginning a quest as you move into the magician, the first in the higher arcana and then after that state of energy of really like being skillful and realizing you have a quest like a mission to fulfill like the magician has um coming into a more concentrated and internal like meditative energy as you move into the energy of the high priestess so um so the tarot i find that the higher arcana really works in in cycles um particularly of of closing and opening of um Coming inwards and then externalizing suddenly, you know, for example, going from the Pope, with, who's pretty meditative, to the lovers where there's like this big epiphany. Um, yeah, like creating a movement sequence definitely has um, is something I've been doing. And it's different for every client, but I do try to work with clients on um, being able to think about associating movement with each of those cards and sequencing them, being able to move through every state. Um, to have ultimately a more flexible psychology and also body.
1: And that makes me think, I'm curious whether you have applied this technique and approach to any other divinatory or oracular tools, because what you just were talking about makes me think immediately of the I Ching, Mm because very often in the I Ching you have... Two hexagrams. You have the one of the present, and then you have the one of either how that's going to change or what the outcome is going to be. And I could see a very, very clear way of applying what you're talking about of a, uh, of moving from one thing to another, of one movement to another, to really experience, generate, or embody that sense of what's changing, how is it changing, where is it taking me to. So, have you? applied this to other divinatory or oracular tools, or have you just stuck with Tarot when doing it?
4: Um, Yeah, so far, just Tarot. No, that's a really interesting question, because it's something I've thought about. It's, um, for me, bringing these two distinct practices together has really made me think about how I would like to incorporate the movement or somatic practice to other divinatory practices. I have a friend, actually, who, um, she just read my birth chart yesterday, and she is, um, also talking about developing a somatic practice um, that goes along with uh, with astrologic with reading astrological charts um and having people develop movement practices that will help them with uh, the traits that they carry in their life. Um, so it's it is something that I've definitely thought about, but um for me, I, I don't actually practice any other divinatory um I I'm not I'm not versed in any other traditions than the tarot really but um it's the tarot uh being coming into conversation with yoga for me has been a lot about um these two things being occult sciences that help us to better understand ourselves and I think that divinatory practices in general are that they are Um, traditions handed down through generations to us so that we can better understand what we're doing in life and why we're here and what the story means and what what work we have to do um, which an astrological chart tells us which the runes will tell us or the I Ching will tell us Um, and so to be able to bring those uh, conversations, those traditions into conversation is really interesting for me and um, I would love to continue doing this with other divinatory practices but for me very much so right now it is about the tarot because um i see uh yoga as a very spiritual and psychological practice and uh the tarot has really informed my understanding of human psychology from a very young age and i feel really deeply um really deeply connected to that to that occult science of the tarot
3: Absolutely. So, uh, there there might not be tarot Pilates in the near future. <laughs>
4: um, I don't. I haven't really gotten into no the that Pilates. no, No, Don't worry about
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just kidding. <laughs> is, is there a? Have you found that there are is a or are a number of particular decks that work well with this approach, and maybe some that aren't quite as conducive to doing this, or do you find it's just universally applicable no matter the deck?
4: Um I can definitely prescribe a yoga practice out of any tarot deck, <laughs> but uh, I, yeah. Um very for me tarot is uh, like I feel like I understand the system so I can really work with any deck, but I will be uh yeah, quite frank about um I feel like I use the tarot de Marseille mostly when I'm doing Ooh. these um these sessions I think that the Tarot de Marseille being uh, the oldest deck, um, I've been a purist for a lot of years um, and I'm I'm definitely like opening up, but I, I feel like the Tarot de Marseille is what I use because I feel like I understand those images the most. I feel like they're married to numerology in a way that really makes me understand the story and therefore how they relate to a, to a movement practice Um to actually moving from one state to another. However, I have really um I have been branching out a little bit. <laughs> and um I also use the Prisma Vision tarot that came out, I think uh it's either twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen because that deck is incredibly narrative. It's a pretty magical deck. And um for me it's the narrative that's really important. Um and a, a deck that really like shows you the narrative. So, for example, the Pope in the, de Mar- in, I'm sorry, the Prisma Visions um, deck, you see, like, this weird sort of Taurus bull figure that's, like, a starry creature. And you really understand, like, the ancestral nature of the Pope. And it's a really beautiful image, and you can really see um, sort of, like, how this is about opening um someone up to a sort of greater starry ancestral realm. So um, I think that it's the visuals because for me it's about working with a client um, to really get them to understand the meaning of um, of the card. So, uh, yeah, I found that there are certain decks that really like align with how I understand the Tarot de Marseille, which for me is like the Ur-Tarot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, the, the wild unknown is a deck that I definitely use a lot in readings, but not in the ecstatic bodies, tarot yoga movement practice, um, sessions, because I find that those images are just more about connecting with nature and about like understanding, uh, actually the struggle more than the like cosmic narrative, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So the imagery is really important to me.
1: And I, and I find it interesting that it's the Tour de Marseille that you would use because that's not one that perhaps is as easy to show someone that you're doing a reading for and say, what movement do you see or get out of this? Because there aren't, like, figures in there doing something, you know, for them to, to really latch on But I love that Prisma Visions deck. I think that deck is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but And so – and along with, you know, looking at the cards – Do reversals play into this? Is is there a way of incorporating that? And if so, do the reversals, how, how do they affect the type of movement or what movement? Would it be the same movement adjusted in some way? Does it indicate some different movement versus what you would perhaps Prescribe for the upright of the card, or maybe you don't even do reversals. So I was just curious about that. And for anybody listening, if they're not familiar with Tarot, reversals just mean a card comes up upside down when it's pulled out of the deck.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. First, I, wanna, I will speak to that point of reversals in just a second. But first, I really want to go back to the Tarot de Marseille and um, the visual language of it. Um, because I do think that the thing about the Tarot de Marseille is that with the the suits, Um, Yeah, and for all those listening to Tarot de Marseille, the suits don't have images um, uh, or uh, they don't have animate images or pictorial images. They're just, you'll see like seven coins on the seven of coins or nine wands on the nine of wands. Um, The thing about the Tarot de Marseille for me, it's actually um, richer for the movement practice because when we get to the suits, um, what you see on those cards is, greater amounts of visual concentration or lesser amounts of visual concentration. And so when I'm seeing someone who's pulling a lot of really concentrated coin cards or something or cards that are really compact, I'm going to give them, I'm going to be prescribing them movements about letting go certain energies, about like trying to clear out energy. And the Terra de Marseille, the visual language really does speak to that. Um, and it's, it's more subtle perhaps. Um, but I think also, you know, a grosser image of just like, this is what it means to feel like really full, or this is what it means to feel really empty and like overly void. So, um, yeah, not actually having images that are telling you like, here's the, here's the meaning of the, um, you know, of the three of, swords, like, you know, there's no like sadness or blood in that, you know, and usually there will be like sadness or blood in, um, in decks that will draw a picture for that card. But in the, um, you know, in the Terra de Marseille, you just see three swords that are kind of like bound together in an uncomfortable way. So I'm going to ask that client to open up, you know, and just like, um, you know, open their body up in a way that looks different from that literal, like geometrical, um, composition. So, okay, so that's the tarot number thing. As far as reversals go, um I think reversals, uh I do sometimes read reversals. Sometimes uh yeah, tarot is very case by case for me. Sometimes I get a client and I'm like, This person does not like this spread does not want reversals. So I just do not read reversals. When I do read reversals, that's an interesting thing because um Uh, I'm not talking really at that point to, uh, like, what, you know, to, like, okay, like, you pull the Three of Cups reverse, like, so you need to, um, you know, be thinking about what we were doing with the Three of Cups uh, upright. No, I'm talking about, like, the state of energy of the Three of Cups reversed, which is, like, kind of, like, Maybe a woozy feeling of like too much emotion or like too much joy, and so I'm gonna ask that person to do some sobering um movements some some things about balancing or like becoming sturdy and upright um yeah, so reversals do figure into um this practice, but in a way that's more integrated you know um i guess than just having a rule for it you know i don't really i don't really have rules <laughs> to be honest um yeah so uh, if
3: you say you don't you don't just take the same position and you make them stand on their head and do it
4: yeah exactly that i just would be, <laughs> um stand on their fingertips and <laughs> <laughs> <if> you,
1: yeah. <laughs> Has there have you ever come across a, a card that you were just stumped about what movement it would relate to, and perhaps that then becomes the way that that card is approached with someone when it comes up?
4: Um, I actually have not had that happen. Um, I, I, generally always feel like, actually, always feel like I have, um, sort of like a, you know, movements to that. I can always correspond movements to a card at the, I guess, at this point. Um, I feel like also because it becomes a conversation between the client and me, um, you know, I'm going to ask them, what does this card, as you know, as I'm interpreting it for you, what does this card make you feel in your body? Um, does it make you feel fear? Does it make you feel fear in your chest? Does it make you feel tight in your hip? You know, like, what what are you feeling? And generally, the client will have an answer, and so I have an answer also for where to go um, as far as, like, developing greater health in their body and greater flow, Energy.
3: And that's why you're the pro.
4: Oh, thanks. <laughs> no. Um, wow. No, it's, it's, that's why I'm the pro is because really, you know, though, actually, is that I feel like clients have the answer. You know, it's a very collaborative thing. I'm interpreting mm-hmm. the cards um, for them. You know, it's not, it's not just me at all. <laughs> it's, um, clients are very smart creatures, you know. <laughs> they're like they're intuitive. They're they're great human, you know. People are smart. For their answers. <laughs> oh, don't give
3: them too much credit now. Well,
1: since you do have <laughs> okay, since <laughs> okay. since you do have answers for every card for every client,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we're going to put you to the test. <laughs>
2: okay,
3: <laughs> a neighborly thing of a host to do. It right? is. It is, isn't? It? So I've got okay. my Marseille
1: tarot. Right.
2: <laughs> okay.
1: great. Um, so. What we were going to do is we were going to um, pull three cards each.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you, and you can tell us if you think it works better one way or the other. Now, I had a thought of if, if, if you had a three-card spread that was past, present, future, then that idea of moving from one movement to another makes mm-hmm. perfect sense to me because it says let me feel what it is that I'm releasing in the past and how I or where or what I need to be in the present and then where that's going to take me and what that's going to feel like in my body as it moves into the future. Mm-hmm. So, if you want to do it that way, perhaps we could do that or if you think it's better to just say what the card is and talk about what the movement would be without worrying about position in a spread and that kind of thing. Um which which is your preference as to the way you think it will work better for you.
4: Um, interesting. Yeah, I could give you a little sequence if you want to. Sure.
1: For our little phantom Um, client. Whatever you
4: want to let let go of and whatever you want to move towards, you know, or whatever the cards are wanting you to let go of.
1: So so this means that there will be two cards for each position because Charlie and I will both have a card for each position. Um, And the idea here that we often emphasize is anyone hearing this and whenever they hear this, This is going to be what they need to hear, and it's going to be the right time for them. So what comes out of this is going to be right for whoever hears it when they hear it in terms of what sequence of movements they may need to do as they release and move away from the past, come into where they are now, and then move into the future.
3: So they should just do this position, the the, the body work, as they're listening to it, even if they're driving, because it's the (laughs) right time.
1: That's right. Yeah, there we go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> do that sound? Please do a shoulder stand now. now there
3: we are.
4: The I'd like you to see a dynamic, <laughs> to do a dynamic spinal twist as you are. Is go. <laughs>
3: right. that going to be too complicated to have two cards per position? Should we just do two different readings or one? Re- or?
4: I think um, it would be better to do, I. you were saying uh, past, present, future, so if mm-hmm. it's one for both of you, I would say, um yeah, for high C one past, present, future. Or one Sounds past, one present, future. Sure. First, one past Otherwise,
3: future. I'll get confused, and I'll get my like left knee wrapped around my right ankle, and it'll be a problem. So. Yeah.
1: And then okay. I'll see you, and I'll be like, why do you have your ankle there? That's where my ankle." goes. Damn it. I can't <laughs> feel my chakras.
3: <laughs> All right. So <laughs> my phantom client has come in, and she has just a general kind of reading that she wants to get. And... Her sequence is uh the three of swords in the first position. Oh, oh great. Okay. Three of swords. That's the Marseille three of swords, and French people tell me that Marseille three of swords is not the problem that the uh American or English three of swords is. Okay. Three of Swords. Her present is the uh the N of Swords, and the future is strength. So uh huh. G to ten to strength.
4: Okay, so three to ten. Ten is the present? Uh yes. Okay, great. Um interesting. Okay. So do you want and that's that's Charlie's spread?
3: That's that's my that's, phantom client's spread.
4: okay, great. That's perfect. So do you want me to go ahead and start working on this movement practice for you or should we pull the next?
3: Let's try this one and then we can we'll move to our friend Hi-C, and his problems.
4: Okay. Okay, so um the three of swords is in the past, so we're letting it go. So the three of swords is a card um it's a card that's um about pain. It's about like youthful um it's it's kind of about a youthful bursting forth and realizing um, you know, a bursting forth of thoughts that have like caused you pain or maybe, you know, you're regretting, you're feeling like too young. So because we're letting that go and we're moving into um the more sophisticated energy of the Ten of Swords, um, I am thinking that you should probably be doing um, some, I think you need to do for that a strength-building pose, specifically um, around the legs. What I would ask you to do at that point is um, kind of a movement that's going to help you grow up. So we're going to do chair pose, Utkatapana, which is about um, um, building strength in the glutes so that you can really feel sturdy in your leg. Thanks. You know, of
5: the three of swords.
4: So... Um to do Utkatasana, um, and maybe what we'll do is something before we do that. So, okay, we'll do a little sequence, um, an inversion so that you really feel kind of the uh, cur- tipsy turviness, uh, tipsy, tipsy, sorry, tipsy, turvy, What's the word there? Um,
1: Topsy-turvy. (laughs)
4: Topsy-turvy. The topsy-turviness of the the Three of Swords. So we're going to do a forward bend, And then Strength is the next. And Strength is a card that is really about, like, um, kind of being completely in control of um, your animal nature. That's a sweet, you know, a sweet sequence because you're going kind of from pain to, like, maturity to strength and, in many ways, domination um, but, you know, generally a positive domination, um, in force, in, um, in strength, in the territory de Marseille, you see her stroking a lion, like taming a lion. So you're kind of taming your lion. So, so for that, we're going to do lion's pose. So, okay. So now we have the season. So we're going to go, um, I would ask the phantom client to stand upright in mountain pose. So to do that, you're going to um, stand and find the center in your feet, um, and just stand about hips width apart with your feet. Uh, find the center, and um, really find length in your spine as you stand upright, reaching to the sky and having uh, feeling, having the feeling that there's a thread um, coming from the very top of center top of your head all the way through your spine, reaching up with your spine and down, uh, uh, reaching up from the hips upward and down to the ground from um, the hips downwards with your legs, really feeling yourself grounded. So then to get an inversion, to feel the (laughs) topsy-turviness of um, the Three of Swords, you're gonna bend forward from the hips and you're gonna come down and down and you're just going to come bending from the hips so that your spine is still straight. And then um, and then you would just let your spine fall forward, you know, fold forward so that you're facing your knees. You're looking at your knees and you're upside down with the top half of your body. Um, you're kind of feeling at that point that you're not very in control of your head Um like the three of swords is not so in control of its head. It's um, kind of lost control. It's a card that's lost control. Um, so you no longer have control of your head in this position. So you just, you know, I would ask you to sort of hang out there for a second to really just get the feeling for um, what it feels like to be out of control, um, to not really, to not be seeing where you're going, to be a little bit blinded in a lot of ways. Um and then once you get, you know, once you have that feeling, you want to let go of it. So you want to just come up slowly articulating the spine, um, vertebra, vertebra, by vertebra up until you're back in mountain pose. Um, standing upright, reaching upwards from the hips up and downwards, grounding, um, from the hips down. Um, so the next pose, yeah, is, um, udkatasana, uh, chair pose. So we would, um, at that point, begin to bend our knees while keeping the spine straight and coming back um, with our hips as though we were sitting in a chair. Um, so you're really getting a workout of um, the glutes and the um, just all of the muscles around the thighs. Um, your sit bones are pointed towards the earth even though you're not actually sitting on anything, you're just sitting on air and your strength alone. So, um, yeah, in that pose, you can hang out as long as you possibly can, build strength, <laughs> um, but I won't make you do it for too long um, because you'll have to build strength over time. So, um, so you would come up from Utkatasana um, and come back into Mountain and then for strength um to do <laughs> to do the lion's pose lion's breath pose uh this is um about freeing yourself into like the strength of your own energy what you do is you'll get onto the ground onto your knees um you'll get onto your knees put your um feet together under your sit bones, under your butt, and you'll sit down onto your knees. Your knees are spread a little bit wide, um, a little bit wider than your hips. Um, And then with lion's pose, you'll come down um, to the ground with your hands, put them between your knees, and this is from lion's pose, Lion's breath pose, or roaring lion, also is what it's called. So, you'll look downwards into your chest, and you'll really ground yourself into your body, and you'll really feel like my, you know, I'm holding my body up here in this kind of strange position. I'm sort of sitting on my feet, um, but kind of holding myself up with my front, you know, with my hands, and I'm, you know, you're looking inwards and feeling the strength of your body there, and then. What you do is you move, um, you're curling your spine inwards and then you're going to curl your spine out so that you're opening up your chest to the front of the room and you're leaning your head back and you're going to, um, the lion's breath, you're going to take a breath in as you like, um, are moving your spine back. And then you're going to do Lion's Roar, which is one of the greatest immune-building, strength-building, um, kind of energetically strength-building things you can do. Um, so you'll breathe in, and you're going to scrunch up your face really tight. Like, every muscle in your face is really tight. And then you're going to look up to the sky, up well, up to your third eye as you breathe out. And as you breathe out, you're also going to stick out your tongue and roar. So you're... You're coming from an inward curl and you're going to come out like that. And you're really just like feeling the strength of your your, um, chest opening up to the sky as you let out all of your breath. Um, And so that is really good for opening up the thyroid and um, strengthening the immune system. So that's a strength building, a very spiritually strength building and also grounding pose because you're literally sitting on the ground and feeling it with your hands, your feet, and you're pointing your sit bones there. So, so yeah, that is the sequence I would give to that spread.
1: So basically, So basically that was three of swords into ten of swords into the strength card, which was mountain pose into chair pose into... Lion's roar, lion's breath?
4: Pose. Uh, lions. It's lion's pose to roaring lion, is really what you would call it.
1: All right. And I really liked the way that that sequence overall went, but especially the way it ended because it really moved you from what you might think of with the Three of Swords, which is a much more inner kind of, you know, whether you're in the fetal position because you're going through the Three of Swords or you're just feeling very um navel gazing. <laughs> but but it moves from that to that very outward strength aspect, which is like now I'm ready to get back out into the world and stop, you know, boohooing myself.
2: Precisely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you for doing that so that people could kind of hear an example of the process you would go through and how a reading and the cards would then translate over into the movements and things. And it's also good for them to hear why. I mean, you did a really good job of explaining the the thought behind why this particular pose and how it relates to that card. So thank you very much for walking us through that process and letting people have a little bit of a taste of what it would be like. And, of course, now we want to get them to you so they actually are doing it in their bodies themselves, not just listening to it.
2: hmm it. Okay.
1: Uh, I do want to mention mm-hmm. that you are in the San Francisco Bay Area in Oakland, I believe. You live in Oakland, yes?
4: Yep, in North Oakland.
1: Um, and if anyone is in that area, Molly Scott will be leading a class at the Sacred Well in Oakland on the... Tuesday Yeah, so it will be a week from today. Mm -hmm. Um, a week from when this show is airing. So if anyone is in the Oakland area and would like to attend her class, you're certainly welcome to do so. You can find out more at sacredwell.com in the calendar uh, or on Facebook, the Sacred Well page in the events section. And do you want to let us know how people can find out about you and how they can contact you if they were interested in doing some work with you?
4: Definitely that would be great. So um you can contact me by emailing me at mollyscotttarot at gmail dot com, but the spelling is tricky. My name is spelled M A L I S C O T T. Um so that's Molly Scott and then tarot T A R O T at Gmail dot com. Um, and that's how, uh, yeah, you can reach me there to book an appointment, or you can visit my website, which is ecstaticbodiestarot.com, ecstatic, E-K-S-T-A-T-I-C, bodies, B-O-D-I-E-S, tarot, T-A-R-O-T, dot com. Um, so that is yeah, you can visit my website and read a little bit about, um, much of what I've just talked about, but you can also find my email and contact information there.
1: And do you offer sessions only in person or do you also offer sessions by Skype or FaceTime or other ways?
4: hmm I do offer sessions by Skype and, um, I haven't actually done a FaceTime session yet, but um, I would definitely be able to do that. I have FaceTime. So, um, yeah, I've done a few sessions by Skype. I much prefer to do in person, but for clients who are not in the Bay Area, I have no problem working over Skype.
1: Excellent. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you very much for being willing to take some time to join us here and, I think, to introduce a process, approach, technique, um with the tarot that is a, a bit unique and a bit different than what most people are used to, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so thank you very much for taking time to be with us here this evening.
4: Definitely, and thank you so much for having me.
1: And stay tuned, we will be right back after this break for our Living the Queer Life segment followed by our chance for you to receive a reading live on the air. Uh, you can get into the queue for that by Skyping in from the show page or calling 646-716-5510. And that will get you right into the queue to get a reading with Charlie and I during the show just a bit later. So stay tuned. This is the Amethyst Historical. I'm Hi C. Here with Charlie, (laughs) and we will be right back. Fall back and touch
2: the night and reach for the blinding light. Everybody says that we're too young to see. That we're brave enough to be In a state of ecstasy In the place we're meant to be In a state
0: The Amethyst Oracle: Divination with a queer twist, with hosts I.C. and Charlie Harrington, on Firefly Willows. Libe Find out more at facebook.com/slash/theamethystoracle. Enjoy the show.
2: Breakthrough from the other side. But love can take us away from here And every time I close my eyes we disappear Instead.
1: be a bit queerer. Wow. That's a bold statement. Yeah. And might argue
3: with you about it. You know, I mean, I'm sure you got up real early this morning to get this queer, but if we're honest with ourselves, we both know it could be a bit more queer.
1: It is true. If nothing else, we could at least live in a more queerly authentic way or authentically queer way. Yes.
3: And fortunately for you, see. And for you, gentle listener, it is the Living the Queer Life segment of uh the episode of the Amethyst Oracle. So it is time for us to peer into that thin membrane of unreality that covers over all of creation and <laughs> and see what we can do to I don't know where this is going. There's membranes involved. So
1: It's all right. We've 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 passed into that realm of the mysterious and the unknown that this time of year is known for. So yeah. who knows where this is taking us and what dark, shadowy byways it's going to lead us down. Absolutely. And with that in mind,
3: I have pulled a card from the Halloween Tarot. Have you ever seen the Halloween Tarot in,
1: in the flesh? I've seen it in the rotting flesh.
3: Very ooh. Uh it's a fun sort of whimsical uh, kind of Nightmare Before Christmas-esque take on the Rider-Waite tarot where it's it takes place in a land that is always Halloween. And from that deck, I have pulled Judgment. And Judgment in this deck is, um, so you have the three people uh, rising out of their coffins, like in the Rider-Waite version of the card, a, a man, a woman, and a small child and they they're they're wrapped in their burial shrouds but above them son's angel we have a vampire uh who's sort of risen above them and he is covering them over sort of with his cloak as the the moon uh looks down upon this whole scene so it's a it's a, a nocturnal judgment it, uh, it is judgment as rebirth and so In living a queer life, in living sort of outside of the norm, we become sort of shape-shifters. We remake ourselves in a more uh, authentic image for ourselves. The myth of the vampire here in this card sort of suggests um, that if we allow the old self, the old imperfect self to die, our greater, more powerful, immortal self will rise so um, it just suggests that um, at this time of the year, when people dress up what they as what they most wish they could be, to just take into consideration who is it I would rather be right now. How would I rather be dealing with this situation, this this thing I'm 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 dealing with, any any relationship that isn't fulfilling at at the highest level, any. Any career that is not um, living up to our our queer standards, who would I rather be right now? And what if I just shifted into that state? Judgment is the call, the calling, the awakening um, card. And so here, like the vampire, we could we could if 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 you'd rather be Lestat or Edward or Angel or Dracula, you know, whatever whatever your darker, more more um, subversive self is. Shift into that and just take that on and see if it gives you what you're really looking for.
1: Well, the card that I have pulled, and I am using the Sun Tarot, S-O-N Tarot, mm. um, is the Eight of Cups Reversed. And... On this image, now, this is what this image really makes me think of. There is this bright white light that this kind of spectral figure is facing and perhaps walking or moving towards. It's the light, Carolyn. It's true. It's true. And so uh, seeing it that way and then having it come up reversed made me really pause. It seems to be reminding us or it seems to be saying something isn't quite done just yet. So it's it's like having a near-death experience and rather than it being our time to go, it's just that we have that experience but we come back into our body and then we have that often transformative um, experience that has shifted our perception, our awareness, or causes us to live in a different way. So what I would say to this is don't be so quick to assume or to believe or to decide that something is done. Um, There may still be some life left in it. There may still be uh, a reason to stay at least a bit longer rather than to let go and move on. Um, We may be doing that prematurely. Uh, So don't think that what's going on right now is necessarily the definitive indication that something may be done or at an end or that it's time for us to walk away from. Um, Stick with it a little while longer. uh, See what else there may actually be there because we may not have lived or experienced or gotten or learned everything that there is for us in that and we may be moving away from it or letting go of it prematurely, doing ourselves and anyone or anything else that might be involved a disservice as to what everyone may have to gain from it by finding a way to work through this and continue onward rather than walking away.
3: Excellent. So there's two different approaches to try, uh, either either or or mixing or both. You could, you could, um... I love that, so the Eight of Cups, I had never thought of the near-death experience metaphor for an Eight of Cups reversed. I, because I, I, I always associate the Eight of Cups with, like, let it go, you know, move past it. Like, this, there's, there's nothing more for you here. But the reversal, rather than just being a complete, like, just a, a don't do that. I, I like the, how you worded that as, um sort of that pause before returning, you know. Uh, but but there there is more to accomplish, that there is something there.
1: Why, thank you. Of course, if it is the card of letting go, or that to you says let it go, mm-hmm. then the reversal of this could say, it's time to never listen to the soundtrack from Frozen again. No, don't do it. <laughs>
3: Oh, we love you, Adina Menzel. And if you want to be on the show, just call. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we'll give you a free reading. <laughs> Speaking of which, yes. coming up next is our listeners' chance to get a reading live on the air during the show with us. All they have to do is Skype in from the show page or call 646-716-5510.
2: Let's show them how to get off the chain, off the glass, off the flip, off the rib, let's rant. All we want is a party, have some sex with somebody, take the music and turn it all the way up. If you came in a party, and ain't no doubt about it, ain't no doubt about it.
0: Listening to The Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist, with hosts Hi C and Charlie Harrington on Firefly Willows, L I V E. Find out more at facebook.com The Amethyst Oracle. Enjoy the show.
2: But the DJ just say my favorite song And you look like you're ready So come on, baby, come on Hey, all we want is a party Have some sex with somebody Take the music and turn it All the way up If you came here to party
1: and welcome back thanks for listening and thank you to molly scott for having spent uh some time with us this evening i personally uh found what she is doing very uh interesting and as i've said before innovative and i think it would really be worthwhile taking advantage of the kind of approach that she is offering um and of course hopefully you got a little something out of the queer life segment as well Um, unfortunately Charlie was having some technical issues and his connection was not able to be sustained so uh, he is going to try to connect back in but um, for now it's just me C, here to uh, offer the readings for anyone that is in the queue and it does look like there is someone who is uh awaiting for a reading so let's go ahead and go over to that person and this is someone calling from area code 973 Are you yeah. there caller? Oh, oh hello. Yes
5: I am. <laughs> Hi, what? thank you. Hello. My call.
1: What's your hello. name and where are you calling from?
5: Well, I'm in the San Jose area. Uh although that's a New Jersey area code. Um my name is um Alex. And, um, I just have a kind of question, and it has to do with relationships um I don't know if you need me to be more uh precise or um, but i am uh, thinking of some anyway go ahead <laughs> yes um it's it has to do with a kind of fairly new relationship that never uh got around to being and I'm not and I'm just wondering if it will come back, um this person. It was fairly recent, but I think there's a distance or gap between us and um I just I'm in a quandary with what to do. And I just would like some clearing maybe on that matter.
1: Okay. So oh. Well, there is a sense, um, with the cards that came up there, there's a sense of um, basically not giving up yet. Uh, The card that came up for the relationship itself between the two of you is the Seven Mm -hmm. of Pentacles. And here in the deck that I'm using, the word that is on Mm -hmm. that card is is patience. Um, and, Mm -hmm. And the image actually shows a pregnant woman with the moon phases over her. So there's a sense with this card that it says um well we could use you know phrases like all good things come to those who wait or patience pays mm-hmm. off or that kind of thing. So there is a sense with that card that something mm-hmm. was established or uh, and and it may just need time to um take root or to to grow into something else. Think of like if we were in a garden and we had just planted a plant, we can't expect fruits or flowers from it the next day. But if we're patient with it, then we come out a few months later and now all of a sudden here are these fruits and things. So this this seems to be encouraging. And also the card that came up for the other person is the king of cups. So it does show that there was perhaps a real connection there or there was some uh, real feelings that this person had. Um, and it may just be that timing wasn't right or other circumstances uh-huh. have gotten in the way, but that doesn't mean that you wouldn't cross paths again. I so,
5: see. That. So, would it be for me, so I shouldn't try to communicate with this person yet or just let it be for now?
1: Uh, Yes. That's why I use like the garden analogy, because sometimes we have to just kind of step back and let whatever the plants in the garden do in order to establish themselves and then to start growing. Um, And also the the reversed magician is here. So that kind of says for us not to be the ones trying to put our will into action. So not being the one who is trying to move this forward Mm -hmm. or is doing anything mm-hmm. we don't either we don't it's saying we don't want to do anything because that could either rush something and, and again kind of make it off kilter because it would be out of the right timing um mm-hmm. it could also say that um that we don't we don't have to be the one who is somehow moving this forward um i think the 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 Knight of Wands comes up in the short term. Now for me the short term is the next one to three months. The fact that it's wands, which is a fire element or suit, mm-hmm. uh would tell me that perhaps during the next fire sign is when there may be a crossing of paths or communication may happen and so the next fire sign is Sagittarius, which is basically it's end of November, it's December.
5: Yeah. Uh, that's me. And and he's fire, but I'm he's Leo and I'm and I'm
1: Sagittarius. So. Well, well, I'm just looking at this in terms of when might a oh, okay. a, a, a renewed communication happen uh, or something uh-huh. like that. And so since it's A in the position that's the short term in the next 1 to 3 months, um and B it's uh the suit of wands which is fire it would point probably towards around December. Um, and the, the knight of wands also tends to be very sudden, um, or very quick. So it's like it would come out of the blue. It's like maybe you had stopped thinking about it or stopped worrying about it. And all of a sudden, poof, there's a, an email or there's a voicemail, you know, from the person Mm -hmm. or something like that. Now Uh I will say that it's followed by the five of cups. So one thing that that combination can show with the knight of wands followed by the five of cups is even with a renewed connection it may be something that is short lived so this may not be something okay. that is supposed to be in your life as a long term relationship you know like this is the one or mm-hmm. this is forever right. um but it does say that there may be something if we can think of it like having a shipboard romance where we can yeah. step outside of our regular life we can enjoy whatever it is we experience with somebody for that week that we're on the cruise and then we come back home, as long as we don't read into it or try to make it into something more than what it is, then we can fully experience and enjoy it. But if we try to, push it or make it into or put expectation on it for it to be something else or something more or to move Mm -hmm. into something else that we would like that maybe either the other person or just the situation itself is not ready for, then we may set Mm -hmm. ourselves up for disappointment. So you just want to be really careful that Mm -hmm. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say when there is a connection that is reestablished, don't... Mm -hmm. Don't create unrealistic expectation and just be in the moment with it. Just enjoy Uh it for what it is. Even if that means we go out on three dates, even, you know, just if you reconnect and it's like, let's go to dinner, then just see it as I get to enjoy Uh the evening at dinner with this person, not what is this going to mean? And uh, hopefully we can have a conversation about if we're going to continue doing this, just enjoy being in it because it can really be something quite intense, quite enjoyable knight of wands here would say the sex could be good. Um, yeah. So, you know, that that could be a, a really enjoyable experience, just like that shipboard romance. Like we could go, wow, I had the best sex I ever had, you know, for that week. And I, it was right. an amazing experience. But mm-hmm. it's certainly not somebody I'm going to marry. It's not something I'm going to go back to. It's just something I remember and something that is really good that I had in my life, even for that short period of time. So that's okay. what this seems to kind of be. Um, but I do think that there's a little more to get out of it, and I think there is going to be a reconnection probably towards the end of the year. Just enjoy that and, and don't try mm-hmm. to overexpect or or push it into being mm-hmm. something else.
5: Okay. All right. That sounds good. <laughs> well, <laughs> Thank you. Thank You're you. welcome. Yeah, reading. All right.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for your patience, and thanks Thank for listening you. in tonight. Yeah, you're fun. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye. All right. So that's going to bring us to the close. Unfortunately, I think Charlie wasn't able to reconnect, um, but that is going to bring us to the close of our episode this evening. Thank you so much for listening. We're here every second Tuesday of each month for your listening pleasure, of course. Um, The Amethyst Oracle airs on the second Tuesday of each month and so we will be here again with you on december 9th so hopefully you will uh no sorry what am i saying not december good heavens let's not rush the year my goodness um, we, <laughs> looking way ahead on the calendar, aren't I? Um, We will be here again on Tuesday, November 11th, uh, and we will look forward to having you join us then. Um, I will remind you, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Amethyst Oracle. Uh, we welcome you there and would love to hear from you. If you have a comment or insight or even a question, if you have a question for a guest, we're happy to forward that on to them. Uh, and you can also listen to any previous shows of this or any other of the shows that air here uh, here on Blog Talk Radio or on iTunes. So thank you so much for listening, and we will look forward to being with you here again. I will say thank you and good night for Charlie. And on behalf of myself, Hi I will say thank you and good night.
0: Thank you for joining us. Revolution with host Hi-C Lutmers, brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at facebook.com slash with c We hope you enjoyed the show. This is Deb Caracella. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for Evolve with Robin White Turtle-Lizney, Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. <laughs>